Well, good evening. My assignment tonight is to address the issue of our calling to community. And I think this is a very important topic for us to discuss, but it's also a very challenging topic for us to discuss. Because I, I believe we, we have a faulty understanding of what community is. And I believe we have, as a result of that, a very weak commitment to community as believers. There is a connection between this idea of our general calling and our calling in Christ and this calling to community. In the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, chapter 26, and paragraph 6, we find the members of these churches, this is a chapter on the church, the member of these churches are saints by calling, visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession and walk their obedience unto that call of Christ and do willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God in professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. So one of the clear marks of us being called in Christ is us being called to one another. That is one of the hallmarks of being genuinely and authentically called in Christ. And yet, there are many who on the one hand claim to love Jesus, but not love his bride. You can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. There are so many who proclaim that Christ is their all in all, that they love him with every fiber of their being, but they want nothing to do with his bride. Imagine, if you will, this conversation. I meet a brother, and we hit it off. And the brother says, you know, Vody, I, I just, I've come to just love you. As a, as a brother, just you, you're my brother. I appreciate you. I love you. I just... That's awesome. I, I'm just, and I want you to know that I'm committed to our relationship. I'm committed to our fellowship. I'm committed to us walking as brothers. You just need to know, I can't stand your wife. <laughs> well, as we'd say down in Texas, that dog won't hunt. But that's precisely the way many treat the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you, but I want nothing to do with your bride. And it just doesn't work that way. Especially when you understand that the bride, the church, is actually the body of Christ. So now, I'll go you one better. Jesus, I love you, just not your body. 
we are called to community. There are a number of passages that allude to this. One Tom alluded to earlier, First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a people. We are a nation. We are a priesthood. And we're called to live as such. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Amen? And he goes on. How, how do we, you know, and oftentimes we'll say, okay, I, I get that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold fast to my confession. I'm going to hold fast to my profession of faith. I'm going to hold fast to Jesus. And I'm going to hold fast to Jesus without wavering because he who promised is faithful. But, but keep reading. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, and that not just since COVID, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's been interesting to me too. Because I know some folks who, who haven't been committed churchmen for a long time. Right? They do church on the couch. You know, they, 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 do, they do YouTube church. Been doing YouTube church for years. And now they're sitting and throwing rocks and complaining and condemning churches who haven't been meeting because of COVID. One of those things is problematic. Amen? I'm all for saying that churches ought to be meeting, ought to be gathering. Be kind of odd if I wasn't seeing how we're here. <laughs> Amen? But it's not just because of what's happening right now with COVID that we need to be standing up and being committed to gathering. We need to stand up and be committed to gathering because that's who we are. And it's ironic that many people folded during COVID because we didn't have a firm grasp and commitment on this idea of our calling to community before COVID. And so it was okay. Then there's passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that again elaborate on this idea of us being a body and a community and belonging to one another. And we can debate all day about the nature and the continuation or cessation of these gifts, but, but what we will not debate is the purpose of these gifts. 
That's not up for debate. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And then in Romans 12, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individual members, one of another. We belong to each other. We are called to community. But when we use the word community, we often have in mind an idealized version of the word. We think community means being part of a group that thinks exactly like we do, that never lets us down, that meets all our needs, and never leaves. But what we don't think of is the cost of community, the risk, the pain, the disappointment, the betrayal, and the heartache. So consequently, our tendency is to run from community to community, complaining about and condemning the reality while we continue to seek the unattainable dream. Then, of course, as has also been alluded to, there's the problem of fake, false online community. There we find celebrity pastors whose messages are polished and edited and just happen to always be on topics that we wish our local pastor would preach on. Online brothers and sisters whose online personas are more perfect and like-minded than anyone in our real circles. Congregations whose online presence is exactly what we're looking for and none of the things that we've grown to despise about our own real local body. And echo chambers where we find others sharing our same longings. But that's not community. And worse than that not being community, it often ends up being the source of our dissatisfaction with the communities to which we belong. And so, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and I, I want us to look at the costly call to community. Because it is costly. 2 Timothy chapter 12. Beginning in um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning at verse 9. 
talking about Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and so I added chapters to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Talking about community. I appreciate the members of the community who just said, for, you just blessed me, you helped me. I was at church one time and we had gone uh, back and forth from um, uh, preaching in Exodus for several months and in preaching in Romans for several months. And I, we were in Exodus and instead of Moses, I kept saying Paul. And uh, it wasn't until after the sermon was over that somebody came up and said, you realized like the whole message. You were like, brother, you should have stood up and said something, right? <laughs> All I could think of was somebody finding a clip, you know, putting it out there and saying, you know, this brother's supposed to be a theologian. He didn't even know that it was Moses and not Paul who wrote Exodus, right? So 2 Timothy chapter 12. <laughs> Thank you. Just, just checking. Okay, just checking. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 9. And I, I love this. I, I, you know, I know we, we're not supposed to have favorite books in the Bible. It's like, it's like having a favorite child, right? If you do, don't tell. Um, but this is, a, this is about my, my favorite book in, in the Bible for a number of reasons. but Beginning at verse 9. And just, just listen to the honesty in this text. Part of the reasons I, I, I love 2 Timothy is just in terms of apologetics, in terms of people who, who doubt the authenticity of the Bible or question the authenticity of the Bible. I love to bring them to books like this where it's just obvious that this is not someone who's trying to impress or deceive or this is incredibly personal. Do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila 
and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you. So do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. The costly call to community. There is much here to be said, but we can't miss this idea of the cost of community. We see this first in that community is costly because it requires intimacy. And, and intimacy is costly. Listen to the words here. Do your best to come to me soon. This is part of the intimate language that characterizes the letter. Paul is saying to Timothy, hurry up and come. Then he says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Greet Prisca and Aquila, we see in verse 19. And the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus, remained at Corinth. I, I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Putin's and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. There is intimacy here. This is not a cold, dead letter from a religious official to his constituents. This is an intimate treatise from one man to people whom he loves dearly and with whom he has shared his life. We see this in the opening of the letter. After he identifies himself as, as Paul, an apostle, in verse 1, then in verse 2. Look at what happens at the beginning of verse 2. To my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There's intimacy here. Paul loves Timothy. Paul knows Timothy. He shared life with Timothy. He shared tears with Timothy. This is what Jesus meant when he prayed in John 17, verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Intimacy is costly. Real community is costly because it calls us to intimacy. And intimacy is not easy. It makes us vulnerable. But real community is rooted in intimacy. You don't create intimacy 
overnight. It takes time. You don't throw away intimacy over trivial matters. You fight for it because it matters. And you don't find intimacy online. I know, I, I know what a blessing it can be to find things online that, that can just shower you with truth, feed your soul. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord for the time in which we live where we have access to such things. But saints, be careful, because that's not intimacy. I get Dozens of emails and messages every day from people who are looking for intimacy. And they go something like this. I love your stuff online. I'm really blessed by it. Now, here's something that's completely inappropriate for me to share with somebody that I don't know. I'm thousands of miles away from you. Will you mentor me? You don't know me from Adam's house cat, but here's what's happening in my marriage. Can you counsel me? Here's what my pastor said. I don't like it. What do you think? Here's a passage of scripture that I find confounding. Can you explain it? All of this is born out of this false sense of intimacy. Because you can make contact with someone. It doesn't mean that you have a relationship with them. That's not intimacy. And my response is usually something like, talk to your pastor. Well, I can't. Well, why is he your pastor? Don't fall into this trap. Don't trade that which God has given, this beautiful gift of intimate relationship with brothers and sisters who are actually in your life with the false hopes of intimacy with someone thousands of miles away. Because that's not the same thing. And it's poisoning us. And it's causing us to be dissatisfied with what we have. How do I know this? I know this because I've experienced it. For the last six and a half years, we have been in Zambia, but before that, it was a church planter in Houston. And we've had people move across town, across the state, or even across the whole country. Because they 
Listen to messages online. And we just couldn't find anybody near us who teaches like you, believes the things that you believe, that's willing to stand up in the areas that you're willing to stand up. And time after time after time, those people came to our church and then left. Why? Well, let me just give you a few examples. One family moved across country to come to our church because of my willingness to take firm stands on issues. And then they came to our church and realized that we preached systematic exposition and would spend months at a time not preaching on the issue of the day, but preaching through Exodus. And they thought, wow, just, this is not what we expected. One family moved across the state, came to our church, went through our membership class, and before they finished the membership class, they were leaving. Why? Because they found out we were Calvinists. <laughs> to which I responded, what were you listening to? Did you even read the website? <laughs> or they come to the church and we actually start getting involved in their lives and find out that they're divisive and disgruntled all the time. And we address it. And then they're gone. It's easy to get caught in the trap of finding snippets from people online, comparing that to what you have, and convincing yourself that the ideal exists and it's right there. I assure you, it's not. Nobody is perfect. Certainly not me. Ask my wife. But God has called us to genuine, intimate relationships, and they are costly. And one of the reasons that they are so costly is because they require risk. As imperfect people enter into intimate relationships with other imperfect people. Look at verses 10 through 12. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. Then look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. 
it probably says something about me, but this is arguably my favorite book, and that's arguably my favorite line. <laughs> Alexander the coppersmith did me great. Not just Alexander. Alexander the coppersmith. Dude who shops down there on Main Street. You know the one I'm talking about. Him. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Intimacy brings great risk. Real community brings great risk. And one of the reasons that we run from community to community is because we, 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 we're not willing to accept these risks, and somehow we believe that these risks are not part of God's plan. That if it's real, authentic, biblical community, that you won't experience these things. Listen, Paul names 15 people here. Four of them, Demas, Crescens, Titus, and Tychicus, had departed for one reason or another. Some of them we know not for good reasons. Demas, in love with the present world, has departed. That's a problem. That's painful. That hurts. That hurts when you invest in someone, when you have an intimate relationship and you pour your life into someone, and then they depart. Not just on bad terms, but on good terms. We, we planted that church in Houston. And then after nine years, having planted that church in Houston, we moved to Africa. That hurt. That hurt us, and it hurt people whom we left. It wasn't sinful, and it still hurt. Four other people, Mark, Erastus, Carpus, Trophimus, they had been left along the way by Paul. Some people left him, some people he left. And it hurts. One had betrayed and opposed him. Alexander, the coppersmith. You know the one with the shop down there on Main Street. And that's just the people that he named. There's also, look what he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. It's not just there. Chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. I love this. Again, he, he names names. There were a number of people who were very, who were very miffed with me because in fault lines, I, I named names. And apparently, they believe it is not Christian to name names. I just 
Send him these verses. Where Paul does precisely that. And he does it without any malice. Look at what he says. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I, 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 I name their names. I'll tell you what they did. But I don't hate them. Pray they'll find forgiveness. But it hurts. But it hurts. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. And yet Paul did not run away from the cost of community. He didn't run away from the intimacy. He didn't run away from the risk. So many of us know of people who've done precisely that. They've run away. Some of us are people who've done Precisely that. We've run away. And listen, I'm not saying that there's never a time to leave. Nor is the text saying that. Sometimes Paul sent people away. Sometimes Paul went away from people. Amen? But the point is that there was a commitment to community and to the costly idea of community regardless of the disappointment and the pain and the heartache but for so many what happens is we say okay I'll try this and then we get there and and, and it hurts and, and then we leave and we say I'm not going to do that community thing anymore Jesus I love but not the community that disappoints me and hurts me Wrong answer. Wrong answer. We embrace it because it's who we are. We belong to Christ and we belong to one another. And so we take the risk. Listen, saints. Arguably the most painful personal experiences in my entire life have been at the hands of Christians. Oftentimes, Christians whom I've shepherded, Christians whom I've taught and pastored and mentored and married, Christians with whom I've walked with through the darkest days of their lives. Who then turn around 
and insert the knife right between the shoulder blades. And what do you do? You weep, mourn, and turn to the next one. What other alternative do we have? To run away and hide? But why is this the case? Why is it so costly? Why is it so painful at times and disappointing at times? Because it was never meant to be sufficient. I was never meant to get everything that I need from you. And you were never meant to get everything you need from me. We will always disappoint each other. That's why it's good that this was never meant to be sufficient. Verses 17 and 18. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. If I could just put this succinctly, here's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Sheep bite. But the shepherd, he's good. So keep loving the sheep and keep looking to the shepherd. Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, really sort of puts a Finer point on this. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will full, that will, uh, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Who? You who abandoned me when I needed you. You who did me much harm 
you left me for one reason or another. This is the same guy. This is the same guy who's telling Timothy about all these awful and hurtful things that happened because he took the risk of intimacy because of the call to community. This is the same guy. This same guy says, I'm, I'm torn between the two because on the one hand, I, I know that it's better for me to go and be with the shepherd. But on the other hand, I know that the sheep who bite will benefit from me being here. Do not embrace the false, idealized picture of a perfect community out there somewhere. Unless it's the one at the end of the age. Amen? Because if you embrace that idea, you will continue to run from community to community. Every time there's pain or heartache or disappointment. And eventually you'll stop running and just give up on community altogether and just sit in your home and watch YouTube and send emails to the guys whom you like listening to, hoping that they will somehow be the replacement for the community that you've been running from. That's not who we're called to be. We're called to be believers who embrace the cost of community because it's who we are. We belong to Christ. We belong to one another. And even when there's friction and we butt heads, even when there's confrontation. Even when there's abandonment and betrayal. We recognize that our hope is not in one another, but our hope is in Christ. Which is why we can continue to endure hardship and pain and disappointment And not let it dissuade us from pursuing communion with Christ and communion with one another. Because it's who we are. And it's worth it. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, our great triune God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is perfect community, who is perfect communion, and who calls us to perfect communion with you. And as a result of that, 
calls us to communion with one another. God, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and mercy and kindness toward us. We praise you that you call us to yourself not because we never disappoint you, but in spite of the fact that we do. Grant by your grace that we might be mindful of this as we embrace the risk of intimacy within biblical community. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.